Are you ready, kids? Get your parents' permission, check your mailbox, and grab your shopping cart. It's time for the Adventures in Collecting podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Dave. Welcome Welcome to to Adventures Adventures in Collecting, Collecting, where we talk toy news, culture, and hauls, along with our journeys as collectors. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Adventures in Collecting. You didn't say everyone. You went with everybody today. Oh, did I say, did I, did I, did I screw up my own thing? Well, no, but it's, you know, <laughs> I didn't say hi, so uh, just, I just did. Uh, throwing everybody for a curveball this today. That's, you know what we want? Hello, won't... everyone. <laughs> that's, that's usually it. It's like, it's kind of like when I, when I I'm... started doing it in, in the videos too, actually from talking that loudly, my, uh. I, I I just popped a vocal cord. No, I didn't. <laughs> it's I like to think of it as kind of like a gentle like like engine rev on the the hello everybody. Like it kind of eh, like it just kind of comes in on you. That's that's the way that it always it always works out in my head. But y- you know what we're not gonna do, Dave? Um, we're not gonna bury the lead. <laughs> that's right. Uh, we are back with another guest. This week, uh, I guess uh, we're super excited to have uh, launched on Kickstarter in 2019. Plunderlings have been the 112 scale indie do- indie toy darling since they started arriving in backers' hands. Now that they've rolled out to fan channel retailers and toy stores, they continue to charm collectors now the world over. With a second Kickstarter on the horizon, ready to introduce us to new characters in the world of Plunderlings, joining us on the pod is Ricky from Plunderlings. Ricky, welcome to Adventures in Collecting. Wow, no, thank you for having me. Thank you for that intro. Uh, again, we, you know, we're, we're excited to have you. Um, you know, both, uh, you know, we have experienced Plunderlings, but some of our guests are also, you know, huge uh, Plunderlings fans. We've had, you know, Jay Hernandez and, and our buddy Craig. Uh, it's it's just uh, they kind of wow everybody that that gets their hands on them. I believe I believe you also got Khalil into the Merrick. I did. Yes, that's right. Uh, Khalil of, of of course of Caster's Corner. Um, yeah, I you know I blame Jay <laughs> for it. Jay and and uh, and Jared over at a uh, Toy Bro. Um, you know they posted some initial pictures and you know Jay of course having them balance on everything and you know, showing how they move. It's, it, they really are wonderful. So we're, we're super excited to have you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I blame Jay for a lot of my, uh, purchasing mistakes. So <laughs> he is kind of the ultimate enabler, right? He is definitely a, uh, a purchasing enabler, <laughs> which is why Jay rules kind of with everything. It's like anything he decides to buy and pose is immediately like, Hmm, I think I might need that now. Right. Yeah, he managed to get so much personality out of his toys. It makes it cooler, like having somebody you trust. Um, so the first question that we ask all of our guests before we kind of jump into the, the main topic here is, uh, what are you currently collecting? I don't really collect any specific lines. I don't know if I should admit that. I just kind of pick and choose interesting designs and characters uh, that I come across. Um, and I'm excited that a lot of other toy companies are doing original stuff now, like Super 7's The Worst, uh, Mezco's Rumble Society. Toy pizza's nice to slice. Because, um, you know, I, I get excited about seeing just new stuff and new designs out there. But I also pick up some, like, stuff from my childhood, like uh, Saint Seiya, Dragon Ball, 
Star Wars, Marvel, which a lot of times are by Bandai, Mayfix, or, or Sentinel. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, really cool original IPs out there that that aren't. It's kind of like it, it feels almost like there's really kind of two two rules right now, where it's what what's old is new again, and then you know you have companies like like Plunderlings, like the some of the ones you mentioned, uh, that are producing these kind of new and original characters. And it's been it's been a while since you know since we've had that. Yeah, for sure. No, I think it's really important that we uh, keep supporting new stuff. Like, I, I also fall into kind of the the nostalgia chasing, but I try to catch myself a little bit because I think it's important that we support, you know, new ideas. Because uh, if not, kind of, you know, culture gets a little stuck, right? And uh, I think uh, it's important to allow new things to to exist as well. So, um, how did you get involved in designing toys? Yeah, I'm not sure if I I'm consider myself a, a toy designer yet. Um, the sculptor uh, was uh, is Sebastian Dominguez. He's a really talented young CG sculptor who's from Argentina that we were really lucky to collaborate with. Um, but with action figures in general, uh, I always grew up loving action figures um, and buying them. And I have a younger brother, and I used to use him to to justify buying toys until I was like a, a teenager. And um, anyway, so. Uh, the way we would play with them we was like do like world building and storytelling with them and mix different figures from different shows just to like make up new stories. Um, so th- that's, you know, been something I've always done and I've always, you know, loved, loved the toy just for the toy. It didn't have to be from uh, something. I didn't know what it was from, but uh, I usually work in film and post-production uh, VFX and animation because uh, of the storytelling aspect, and I thought that maybe eventually, you know, I'd be part of something animated that would have a toy line uh, secretly. But then, then I saw what Jason from from Spiro did. I don't know if you know Animal Warriors of the Kingdom. He did a, a Kickstarter before mine, and uh, and it was successfully funded. Um, and I, I was thinking that maybe maybe I could skip the whole part where I needed to find a and work on an animation to be able to make a toy, and just jump straight to the toy part which is the part I was really excited about. So uh, we got a, a 3D printer at the studio, started doing tests, uploading images to Instagram. And one day Robo saw it. Uh, I think someone tagged him and he mentioned on a Foosh Weekly. And that was kind of uh, the confidence that we needed to actually try to make it because uh, we got a bunch of new backers and or we got a lot of support from that that we thought maybe we can get backers out of it. So it was kind of a, a happy accident, but it, it was, you know, it's been really fulfilling and I hope that we can, keep making toys, you know, forever. And that's why I'm always going to be in debt to the, the, the Kickstarter backers for having let it happen. Yeah. I mean, th- there's been a, a really fun groundswell of, uh, of crowdfunding, you know, with, with indie toy projects, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, yours, whether it's the, the, um, the Adam warriors of the kingdom, uh, that, that you had mentioned, there's, you know, there, there's been a bunch, um, and it, it's fun to see these kind of, uh, these these new and and independent projects kind of uh, take advantage of this groundswell, and I, I think there's just a kind of a real hunger out there for for new stuff. Yeah, I hope that we can uh, keep seeing more of it. Again, like uh, I, I like the stuff from my childhood, you know, just as much as everyone else. But I, I like the idea of also having you know new toys exist. So so speaking of new ideas, uh, where did the idea of plunderlings actually? 
actually come from? Um, well, I grew up in Venezuela, and the studio is currently based in the Dominican Republic. And as I, you know, usually had these figures, or you know, would play with them and pose them in kind of more more tropical environments. And um, also, there's always like these stores that sold like little trinkets and stuff like that. And if they had the right scale, like little wooden jaguars, uh, I would also play with them and add them to the mix. So um, I, I always liked science fiction, fantasy through books and comics and TV. So um, I don't know. I always felt like the, the fantasy world specifically uh, was always kind of focused on sort of like a Eurocentric kind of background, kind of like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. Elder Scrolls, more recently Game of Thrones, um, that are always like castles, woods, mountainous landscapes. Um, so I, I always thought it'd be cool to have a fantasy universe that takes place in a more, uh, a, a different sort of environment, sort of like dense rainforest or a tropical beach. Uh, so that, that's kind of where the idea started. Uh, I guess the idea was to make a world where everyone was a pirate and instead of dragons, we had giant iguanas where... <laughs> Uh, exploration discovery was kind of the goal not kind of this like trope of like defending them you know your homeland from an invasion uh and yeah overall i just like to see more fantasy and science fiction you know from latin america and i was hoping to you know if we can be a small part of that that would be awesome i, I don't know if that uh explain comes through on the on the toy but that's kind of where the idea started well i mean that that pirate vibe is is like between the between the pirate vibe and then you know with the fawns kind of having that that kind of like mythic creature uh, element to it, um, they definitely look like they they crawled out of the jungle. Like I, I think I think you nailed that aesthetic of it. Great. Now I'm glad. I also want to keep them colorful, and uh, and yeah, and also and we're also trying to build like a universe where there's no like humans versus the monsters, where it's just kind of like everybody's a monster. Yeah, and that's I, I think that's really cool too because it's you know it makes it even more um, you know immersive. There's just something about seeing like a, a pack of them, <laughs> like you know like a you know a bunch of them all together. Um, you know, especially in some of like the the animations that that you guys have created uh, to kind of support the the line as well. Yeah, they're just very fun looking. Like they look like they're yes getting into like quote unquote trouble, but not in like. Like the fun kind, kind of like, you know, like Saturday morning cartoon trouble, which I think is. It's, you know, it's toys, it's ideal, right? Like that's that's the idea where they came from is like a whole, you know, Saturday morning cartoon thing. So that, you know, this kind of really pulls pulls up that vibe. Yeah, fun was definitely the the North Star on this project. You know, all the decisions that we made were always kind of centered around what would be the funnest solution to whatever problem we're trying to sit fix. Um, so let's talk about the process. Um, how did the first plunderling go from sketch to physical toy? Uh, it went through a ton of iterations. Uh, and we've been uploading images and different ideas, like I think back in 2016 and, you know, the Kickstarter wasn't launched until 2019. Um, but I was really particular about trying to get the joints and the silhouettes uh, right. Um, I think maybe working in the animation industry, uh, kind of I took some of those lessons and tried to apply it to a toy a little bit, trying to get them looking appealing, have them move in organic ways, be able to, exp you know, uh, have expressive poses. Uh, but the whole manufacturing aspect that was totally new to us. So I was really lucky to meet, uh, Chris Galrich from Four Horsemen. 
he's our production manager and he sees a lot of the four horsemen work and you know it was great to be able to troubleshoot things with him i, I think we'd be in a really um different place right now if uh we didn't have him involved yeah four horsemen uh studios is is technically like a half hour away from where we live and here in new jersey so we're very familiar with uh with their product as well <laughs> no, they, they make amazing stuff um they uh they're really inspiring especially talking about original lines um they make a lot of original stuff that's really mind-blowing yeah and i mean you can tell like like it's it's funny hearing you say that you know with the animation background it's something that kind of didn't dawn on me until you just made that point but like looking at them and like looking at where the the joint cuts are and where the you know the 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 points of articulation are there are these just kind of like little bits of subtle movement that you can get out of them that almost feel like it's some like I can picture an animator using one of these as kind of like a uh, a model right like when they're sitting there drawing like using this to kind of get poses and kind of get you know uh, natural looking movement it, it, because of all those kind of just subtle little um, uh, articulation points. Yeah, definitely. Um, the the idea was to just get the, the the articulation that was necessary for the character to be able to do what you would want that character to do. It's a little hard to explain, but that's that was kind of one of the the ideas about keeping the articulation to to a certain uh, you know to to not ex to not put too many points of movement either, because I think that can be a problem. To just have the the right amount that the character can kind of organically pose and and and, and fall into certain you know expressions uh, without too much work. That's where we're going for at least. Whether we got there or not is is, is a different question. But we, we were definitely thinking about what's the the least amount of articulation to to get him to do everything that you would want him to do. So, uh, you know, as, as our, our good friend Jay would say, you know, th these Johns can move. Um, and since we're talking about articulation and, and, you know, talking about that kind of point of whether there's, you know, the, drawing the line between too much articulation and, and, and not enough, um, what were some of, like, the considerations that you, you took into actually designing the articulation system and making sure that you were kind of towing that line? Yeah, again, I, I feel like the character kind of, um, or, or like whatever uh, you think that character is, kind of defines the the movement a little bit. Um, but I, get, I, I don't know, usually within the first 30 seconds of picking up a toy, I know if I'm going to kind of like it or not, uh, between like the weight and, and the way it moves, that it moves in a way that's organic, that doesn't feel like you're fighting it, that they just kind of, you know, fall into their poses. Um that that was something that was that I really you know worked on trying to get right with the toy. Uh, again, like you know uh, whether we totally hit that mark uh, is something that we talked about. That was definitely something that was being thought about a lot. And also, and I personally really dislike kind of spinning parts. It's a little difficult to explain, but also with the idea of like having a figure in your pocket that when you take it out, is it going to be like a mess? Like, are you going to have to? <laughs> spend time rotating parts to make everything line up again? Or does it like maintain a certain level of anatomy? Um, like even like a boot cut, like I don't, I don't hate a boot cut, but at the same time, like I have a really hard time pointing my toe in a different direction than my knee. 
you know? <laughs> like, and so how much do I really need my toy to do that? Um, and how much, you know, how many options then does it become too much? And does the posing become more of a, a chore than something fun? And again, everything kind of comes back to the, the fun aspect. Um, so one of the things that makes Plunderlings so unique is their presentation and their magnetic elements. Um, so tell us a bit about how you came up with the uh, packaging and the choice to put magnets in their heads. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wish I could take credit for like, doing the first magnetic hat, but I, I think Palisades did some with uh, their Muppet figures. Uh, Mezco did it with with Popeye. Um, but it started off with like kind of deciding uh, how to design the hats because uh, putting a peg in the head was definitely a, a non-starter because of how much it would break the sculpt and, and make it uglier. Uh, so when we started doing tests with Magnus, we kind of discovered how fun it was to kind of swap and stack hats. And it actually opened up a lot of design aspects that we can make hats in totally different shapes. Like they didn't have to be form fitted to the head. Uh, like we have one toy that has like a little crown as a hat, you know, and that would have been really difficult to do uh, if, if it needed to kind of like fit around the head. So that was, uh, again, uh, that decision was kind of made on, on the fun aspect. It definitely wasn't a, 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 a cost cutting factor, uh, but it was, it was worth it because it made it more fun. And then uh, about the boxes, um, yeah, I'm going to be redundant, but the, the idea was that since we, we kind of thought about it being fun first and foremost, we wanted to make sure the box kind of communicated that. And that kind of happy face was the kind of the best way that we could kind of figure out how to do that. Um, we worked with uh, a deer. Uh, he's known as a wanted rabbit on, on Instagram. And uh, he helped us design the boxes. Uh, a lot of them are compared to, to Boglins, uh, which actually I, I didn't think about until until after people started pointing it out. Um, the, the, the one original idea I think that maybe we could take credit for, I, I'd love to be proven wrong, maybe someone, someone did it before, but was the hatchling bodies. I don't know if uh, you know about those. But mm -hmm. we, you know, we sell these little kind of baby bodies that you put your extra hands and heads on them. And again, as a collector, I have drawers full of hands and heads and you know accessories that I don't know what they're from anymore. Um, and I think I saw like the like a loose head from like perfect cell fig arts uh, kind of laying around. I kind of thought how cool it would be to have like a little cell junior body. I don't know if you watch Dragon Ball, but yep, yep. yes. And so uh, that just kind of was an idea that, that I had in the back of my head that all of a sudden working on Plunderlings, you know, kind of came up again and uh, Seba did an awesome job figuring out how to, how to make a, a tiny body that could fit the proportional heads and hands of, of the figure. Uh, so I was really excited about that. I felt like it was, it was really a, a solution for a very specific collector problem that, uh, that I was experiencing. And, you know, and that it's, it's more fun to have those bits and pieces on display than, than, you know, getting lost between your collection. In a bag or a, or a, a tote somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, just somewhere random. Um, so, so we've mentioned a couple times kind of this, this idea of world building and kind of fun focused, uh, you know, play first, uh, kind of mashing worlds together. Uh, that being said, Plunderlings, they they fit incredibly well, uh, into existing 112 scale collections. Uh, how did you determine that 112 was the scale that, that you wanted to create in? Yeah, exactly. That sort of mixing and matching that that uh, would kind of happen with my figures from a young age. Uh, I was always very scale conscious. I think when I was a little older, the, the first toys that 
more modern toys that really kind of blew my mind were the, the, the Toy Biz's uh, Marvel versus Capcom toys and the, their Ocarina of Time stuff that all kind of skew around six inch, maybe not exactly, but so once it started, you know, once we started thinking about making the action figure, the, the, the six inch scale was kind of a, a no brainer since that that's kind of what I imagine a figure to, to look like. And now a word from our sponsors. And now back to the show. Now, now one of the things that's cool too about them, um, I don't know whether it was a happy accident or not, but I, I love seeing people do like the head swaps, like <laughs> putting putting plunderling heads on on you know other one twelve scale figures. Was, was that something that you guys had kind of taken into consideration when you were designing you know peg size and port size and things? Yeah, I, I'm not sure if uh, there's some sort of. <laughs> like um legal repercussion for making things compatible with lines that aren't mine but uh we definitely wanted to make it uh as standard as possible for example like the grip sizes and stuff like that so that so that it would it it could go into a playset and we always thought about how they would be really fun to kind of mix and match with your ninja turtles or or master of the universe type fantasy world yeah and and Toy photographers are totally doing that, and it's it's all it's so much fun to see it. Like there's times when when I see it, and I didn't I I think like oh I never thought to put you know this with that right, and and then you know all of a sudden I'm I'm seeing it pop up in the toy photography feed, and it's it's just unbelievable. Yeah, and I'm really blown away with what people are doing. I, I never imagined that uh, the, the the level of creativity people have and the dioramas they build, uh, they've really taken it to a, a level that you know I don't think we ever could have gotten to that level. So the Kickstarter campaign, extremely successful, and it nearly doubled the funding goal. Um, did you anticipate that level of success going in? No, not not even a little bit. I mean, like, I kept thinking, like, what are all these people thinking? You know, I've never made a toy before. You know, like, they're, they're crazy. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. But, it, yeah, it was it was really, really humbling, and uh, the, the amount of trust that the toy community put in me. Like, I, I felt it the day Robo talked about the product that I was like, okay, now, now, you know, he put our trust, his, his trust in us and, and we got to make sure this toy ends up being as good as we can possibly make it to, to make good on that, on that promise. So, uh, definitely not anticipated and, uh, definitely taken on with a, a, a heavy burden to, to make sure that, you know, that we were delivering a, a quality product. So, so with a Kickstarter, I mean, one of the things that's, you know, kind of most known is those stretch goals and everything. With it, with a campaign that was that successful, did were you like were you guys like scrambling to come up with new stretch goals, or did you have you know kind of a bunch planned and didn't think that you're going to have to pull them out? Well, there was a lot planned. Um, I, I think honestly, the, the the stretch goals were too easily achievable, just in terms of like what the tooling ended up costing was a little bit unexpected. <laughs> um, since you know making stretch goals was really exciting, and I saw that people would get excited by them. Uh, I think if anything, maybe we did too many stretch goals, you know, with our first campaign ever, we did 16 different yeah. figures. Um, <laughs> it was just like, even logistically, it was, uh, it was really <laughs> a really interesting challenge. So, um, yeah, we, I, there was a ton of, uh, stretch goals planned out, uh, but a lot of stuff were made up on during the campaign. For example, even the hatchling idea, that was something that came up during the campaign. Uh, that wasn't something that we had, uh, already made. With that Kickstarter now, you know, in the 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 rearview mirror, and you know, 
uh, you, you guys have been teasing a lot on your, your Instagram feed. Uh, tell us a little bit about what we can expect from, uh, from this, this next Kickstarter. Well, the next Kickstarter is in for the, the Plunder Long and the Plunder Strong. Uh, I really wish that I could say a launch date. Maybe by the time this airs, uh, I'll already have a, a launch date published. Um, it just keeps getting pushed back a week and another week. Um, but uh, the, the the good part is that we've we've really play tested these and put them through the paces, and and we should be able to get them to production a lot quicker. Um, so I I'm excited about doing this and more than anything it's to to figure out how many different variants to make that's going to be the the real purpose of the kickstarter to see how much enthusiasm there is uh and figure out how many how many new variants to make of both the plunder long and the plunder strong um so we're excited to kind of share those and and see the different characters that we've come up with so tell us a little bit about the the two types of characters so so what what are we looking at for a plunder strong and what are we looking at for a plunder long um well the, the plunder long and plunder strong there I mean, we're definitely trying to explain the the, the the plunder verse and uh kind of build out different types of uh plunder folk if you will uh we hope to keep you know introducing more of the lore as we go along uh so yeah basically the plunder strong i think is pretty hopefully you kind of understand what he's about just by looking at him uh he's kind of an angry guy uh you know big and hulking some a really thick heavy toy um so uh yeah if if plunderlings were happy i definitely think the plunder strongs are are angry uh the plunderlong's a little bit more complicated <laughs> let's see uh <laughs> let's see how 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 people uh react to him but the way he's he's definitely kind of a middle child you know he's kind of stuck between the sort of cute and uh scary looking uh toy uh, the idea with him is that uh, maybe he's a little bit more of a, a tragic character, to say it like that. Um, but hopefully people will uh, warm up to him as well, uh, the same way people have kind of come around on, on Waluigi and different kind of uh, <laughs> uh, weirder characters. Yeah, he's got that kind of like brooding, lanky look to him. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think that he uh he suffers a lot for, for kind of being stuck between the, the plunderlings mischief and the, the plunderlings beatings. Plunder plunder strong's beatings. <laughs> like like kinda like teenage Groot in a way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's definitely working through some stuff, but he he's got a happy face sculpt too, so you know, he, he he's a little more of a complex character to say it like that. He he's he's one of the the characters that I'm, I'm kind of more interested to see how uh, how well accepted he is. Now you said um, one of the things that you learned from the first Kickstarter was um, you know too many stretch goals, um, but you also said there were some things that kind of came up maybe on the fly or as you were kind of putting everything together. Um, is there a happy medium that you've kind of found going into this second crowdfunding experience? Yeah, um, I think uh, it's definitely a lot more advanced uh, along the, the lines of being developed. Um, there's stuff still being figured. There, there are things we didn't know we didn't know with the plunderlings um, that had to be figured out at the factory. So a lot of the engineering and the tooling is done for the, the base body. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm confident that the, the turnaround will be quicker, but that's assuming that 
the supply chain issues don't continue to exasperate. Um, and yeah, and then another concern that I have is that you know when when the price of petroleum goes up, so does plastic. So it's kind of Kickstarters are a little hard because you're you're pricing for for the future. Um, but the idea is that we're always trying to make them as accessible as we can, you know, so we, we don't make the same quantities as, as Mattel or Hasbro. So it, it's, it's really hard to, to match their price. But, uh, again, since kind of the guiding star on this has always been fun, uh, we know spending money isn't fun. So we want to try to make it as, a as, as obtainable as, as we can. You know, though, if there's, if there's one thing that, that we've learned and, and, you know, we've kind of understood about the collecting community is there's there's two types of of collectibles there's the mainstream ones and then there's the independent ones and i think there's kind of this i guess you could say perceived notion that you know a company like a mattel a jazzwares a hasbro a spin master um you know even even now to this point like a really like a super seven even um there are certain products that those companies put out that are mainstream products and there's a you know a dollar amount that i think people are used to spending and i think they're willing to kind of extend that the barriers on that dollar amount when it comes to an independent toy especially if it's something that's delivering on a promise i mean and i mean you know you, you mentioned four horsemen we mentioned four horsemen studios before with their mythic legions line and, you know the the figure obscure obscura uh uh, Krampus that they put out, uh, and and Plunderlings, I, I, you know, f- from you guys, I think there is uh, a willingness to pay a little bit more for something that is a startup, that is independent, that is, you know, doesn't have the uh, the corporate machine behind it that some of the other bigger brands do, and I, I think you know part of that's kind of awesome. Yeah, one of the things that also needs to be uh, taken into account is, is the tooling. The tooling is hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes, you know. So it's really expensive um, to make these steel tools to be able to mass produce stuff. And that cost has to get divided up in the amount of figures that you're making. And so if uh, you're not making uh, hundreds of thousands of figures, um, it's really hard to to have that cost be divided up in a way that's that's cost effective. But there are advantages, too, to have doing a smaller run. We can um, be more detail-oriented. Uh, there's no retailer that's, you know, waiting on these things to hit market in time for a, a Marvel movie. Um, so I think that was one of the advantages, too, that we really got to t- troubleshoot things and figure things out and try to make the best decisions we could to make the best toy we could. So yeah, I'm glad that people are understanding. I'm also glad that people were really understanding with the the delays that we had with Plunderlings. Um, and again, I don't anticipate any more of that, but it's it's also an advantage that when you're doing a smaller run, you can be a little bit more more careful. What's made COVID's also made it difficult because I've uh, uh, going to the factory uh, is is basically impossible right now. So hopefully that's something that that would be possible in the future that I also think would speed things up. Well, with that, let's uh, let's kick it over to our Q&A. This segment is brought to you by our friends at Chubsy Wubsy Toys. A traditional mom-and-pop toy store in Little Falls, New Jersey, Chubsy Wubsy Toys brings you the best new toys from the brands you love without the hassle of pounding the pavement, searching for them at larger retail stores. 
Visit them in person at 106 Main Street in Little Falls, New Jersey, or online at chubzywubzy.com. That's C-H-U-B-Z-Z-Y-W-U-B-Z-Z-Y.com. And tell them Adventures in Collecting sent you. Uh, so our Q&A, uh, we, we did, a, uh, did a post. We did an Instagram um <laughs> we we posted uh when, when you first started i thought there was gonna be a q a song like let's kick it over to the q a uh that's the, the there there is dave that's where our 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 ad plays so oh. there is yeah <laughs> well, you'll know that when you hear this um so we we posted on instagram and uh to see if anyone had questions for you, and uh, and lo and behold, we have uh, we had a couple of questions. So, Dave, why don't I start with the first one? Sounds good. So, at uh, Oviada two hundred nine asks: First off, plunderlings are my favorite toys since I began collecting two years ago. Cool. My question is: Will the Plunder Strong eventually have hatchlings like the plunderlings to display the alternate heads and hands? Yeah, we're trying to keep everything as cross-compatible as we can. So the idea is that they will, unfortunately, work with the hatchlings as well. They might look kind of funny because uh, these are uh, a lot less childlike faces on these baby bodies. But they, yes, they will work. And the idea is that you can use the same correct colored um, hatchlings with the, the corresponding plunder long, plunder strong, or plunderling. That's going to be adorable. <laughs> yeah <laughs> the little body with those giant plunder strong Enormous heads head. on it oh it's gonna be adorable i i want somebody yeah. to fashion a diaper <laughs> there you go it, it, it's definitely funny looking uh friend of the pod and recent guest at toy farce asks will the plunder longs and plunder strongs be a part of the same kickstarter campaign or will they be separate no, we're going to put them together. Uh, I think uh, the plunder long needs that, that, that plunder strong support to, to make it happen. <laughs> he's the heavy going into battle. He's, he's... Exactly. <laughs> hey, you need to squat up, you know? <laughs> I honestly, like, I, I, I'm so excited for this. I cannot wait. I cannot wait for these giant things. All right. Um, and, and the last question for our Q&A segment here is from at Johnny underscore C underscore Dagger asks will the next kickstarter be specifically for these two new character types or will we also see plunderlings as well this new kickstarter is for the plunder long and the plunder strong um you know plunderlings had their, their time to shine and now these are new figures and have their own their own kickstarter we have a couple surprises along the way but we won't be featuring any plunderlings uh, per se during this kickstarter so to not to not have that uh th- that kind of anticipation uh it, it'd be yeah just to clear that up so if when when new plunderlings come to uh you know come out for availability they're going to at this point they would go straight into you know the the storefront that you guys have as well as the other retailers yeah that's likely but again right, right now we're just kind of focused on getting these new these new toys out there all right well, with that, you have survived uh, the Q&A segment. It's tough. I broke a sweat. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dave, would you like to fulfill your role as this podcast's James Lipton and ask our final question? Yes, I would. 
Our final question that we ask to all of our guests. What is your favorite and or strangest piece in your collection? It can be one of each or it can be both. All right. Uh, Favorite's kind of hard. I feel like I I have like a rotating collection that's, you know, there's always different toy in my desk. Um, I think after the Plunder Strong, which is the one I've been messing with uh, lately, the, the other one I keep picking up uh, th- this past week has been a uh, Sentinel's Cutman. It's like a, a Mega Man figure from their four inch Nell line. Um, I, I think some of the best Mega Man figures uh, maybe ever made, but th- that's the one that I, I've been, I've been having a lot of fun posing and moving around. Uh, weirdest. Uh, that's uh, maybe even harder because I, I buy a lot of figures just because I want to study their articulation or I think they look cool and have no context for what they are. Uh, I recently got a Reveltech uh, stag beetle. It's just like a giant beetle toy. <laughs> I, I uh, saw, that. I saw yeah. the ads for those on, <laughs> on their Instagram. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea what I'm going to do with it. <laughs> um, I was just curious to see what it moved like and what, what it would pose like. And I wanted to get in hand. I mean, it's it's a great looking figure. I just really don't know where where, where to even uh, put this thing. How How big are those? It's not the size of, size of your fist or something. Okay. You know, it's pretty big. You know, it's uh, it's it's and you know, it basically looks like a big cockroach. So, like, really, you know, like, I'm not really sure if I, I can put it like in the middle of my my living room or something. That's big enough for a a plunderling to throw a little a uh, little rope around and ride around. Right. That, that was definitely part of the reason why I got it to test that out. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I I did see that they they have a couple of different like insects and bugs and stuff and i coyoto uh, is is very uh strange with their the their selection sometimes but like i i i saw those pictures come up and at first i thought that their instagram had been hacked and that they were mm-hmm. posting pictures somebody was posting just pictures of bugs and then i realized that they were like these fully articulated insects no it, it's absolutely gorgeous but kind of talking about again it, it's a, a personal preference thing but the articulation, all those ball joints, is, is is definitely feels like a little bit of a chore to get them into interesting poses. Well, I mean that's that's one of the biggest critiques with uh, with the Revel Tech and the the amazing Yamaguchi figures. I mean, you have in a lot of t- in a lot of of those characters, you have articulated hair and um, you know shoulder like shoulder pads and things that you got to move out of the way to get things to move. Otherwise, going back to Jay, I've watched enough of his videos on the the Revel Tech figures where my my kind of brain hurts after mm-hmm. <laughs> after watching the video. Yeah, but it, it's kind of like genres. I really think that toys kind of needs to... Well, I hope that it'll start to kind of develop as sort of... I mean, I don't know if it sounds pretentious to call it like an art form, but to the point where we can kind of have more words to kind of talk about the different sort of genres and types and ideas that are kind of being put forward with with a a toy or an action figure. So I, I don't think it's, you know, there's any ideal amount of articulation. Everything that I said before about what's fun to me is, is definitely a personal preference, but I, there's, there's a whole genre out there of hyper posable figures that works for that, you know, for what they're going for. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's all subjective. It's, you know, because there are things even, you know, Dave and I, you know, we've, we've been collecting for a very long time and talking about toys for, for a very long time. And there are things that like we still don't see eye to eye on, like 
like for me, like a, a double jointed elbow and some sort of, uh, you know, ankle pivot, um, is, is like necessary. But then like, you know, there are tons of figures out there that don't have double jointed elbows and don't have, you know, ankle pivot that are, are yeah, just I mean, fine. Yeah. And that to me, like, it's nice when it's there, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, need, it's not something that makes or breaks a figure for me. Yeah. Again, I, I think there's, um, there's definitely different kind of, again, sort of genres to this. And I think that uh, once we kind of, hopefully eventually we have more terminology in terms to be able to, to, to talk about it a little more clearly. But uh, again, I think that not all toys are meant to be actively played with. Uh, some of them are meant for just toy photography or, or keeping on a, a shelf and others are meant to, to be, you know, put through the, the paces. Buried in the sand and <laughs> put frozen in a block of ice in the freezer. Yeah, we all did that whatever with our GI Joes. Yeah, whatever equates to whatever fun is, you know, like your your idea of it. If it's to have something on the desk and just kind of stay there as you've kind of set it, that's cool. If it's you know something you've taken out in the snow and taken pictures with. Um, if it's something that you've, I feel like you're calling me out with the razor crest on that one. <laughs> no, I'm just that's or taken into different environments. Like, you know, think of like, you know, into the dirt or into the desert or wherever, you know, your locale is. Mm-hmm. I just say snow because we have it here. Um, you know, that's or if you just kind of sit there and, you know, use laundry baskets is like shelves for them to jump off to attack other figures like and have you know some sort of play element like that's that's the answer and that's what they're good at and they're there for but as long as you can have that level like that's that's the important thing yeah and there's different types of enjoyment you can get from it for example sometimes it's really enjoyable to have a figure that looks exactly like the actor or something and then sometimes it's fun to have a representation of that that's a little bit more, you know, toyetic or something like that. that sometimes gets used, like what the Ninja Turtles were to the Ninja Turtles show. Like I really liked the fact that those action figures had a lot more muscle and a lot more, you know, were a little more aggressive than uh, the show was. I don't think the show would be better if it were more like the toy, and I don't think the toy would be better if it was more like the show. So th- there's kind of different ideas that can also be uh, portrayed through the, the toy, you know, uh, and more than just articulation. There's also you know, heft, you know, like how heavy is it? How solid does it feel? Again, there's a lot of like small decisions that more than anything, I, I, I realized it while going through the process, um, that kind of deciding, you know, making these decisions, a lot of them were based on kind of what is the, the end goal and the end objective of what, you know, the kind of figures genre is. Um, the same way there's, you know, five points of articulation is totally valid as well. Yeah, I love the idea of of talking about figures as as genres and, you know, the idea of kind of developing, you know, a a specific set of terminology, the way that we would, you know, uh, ascribe to film or music or or frankly, even just just art itself. Right. Like, you know, the different, uh, you know, periods of art and and the different, um, uh, you know, types of art, you know, pointillism, water, watercolor, you know, oil paintings, all, all that stuff. The idea of of developing a terminology for for toys and collectibles. I like that. It's really cool. 
Yeah, but again, I, I consider being some resistance to it because people think, you know, toys are uh, either for kids or they think it's just something that's fun. So they don't want to like intellectualize it or something. But at the same time, you know, we're walking a line where we're saying toys aren't just for, for kids. But, you know, we also don't want to uh, over, over, over define it. So um, I, I think hopefully it'll come eventually. It kind of happen with comic books. Uh, I think it'll eventually come around with toys. But that's kind of a personal theory. Uh, we'll see. So, Ricky, with that, um, before we let you go for the evening, uh, can you remind everyone, uh, where can we find out more about Plunderlings on the Internet? The best place to keep up with uh, Plunderlings news is signing up for our mailing list on plunderlings.com uh, or following us on Instagram. Uh, I'm hoping to, to be more active on, on Facebook and, and Twitter as well. Uh, but those are the best places to, to kind of keep up to date. And hopefully we'll have some big news soon about the Kickstarter. Yep. And you know, as soon as that news comes out, you know, we'll, we'll be sharing it. Uh, and we'll put links in this episode's description uh, as you're listening to this. So that way you can follow plunderlings on instagram and and we'll put a link to the website thank you so much ricky thank you so much for taking the time to to be with us uh tonight we're we're super excited for what's next in the world of plunderlings and uh and, and we can't wait for that kickstarter to launch yeah it's gonna be fun thank you ricky no th- thank you guys i appreciate it thank you dear listener for hanging out with us today subscribe rate and review us wherever you listen and then tell your friends to do it Thanks also to Joe Azari, the golden voice behind our intro. Our music is Game Boy Horror by the Zombie Dandies. Find more about them both in our show notes. Follow us on social media at AIC underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Stop by and say hi. Show us your toy hauls and share your toy stories. Maybe we'll talk about it in a future episode. Don't try this at home. Voidware prohibited and some assembly required. Each sold separately, not a flying toy. Consult a physician if your toy run exceeds more than four hours. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablaoui. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.